Turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John. Last week we took a brief break and talked about grace and the importance of grace. Interestingly enough, today we're going to continue to build on that. And even more importantly, there we go. Even more importantly, we're going to continue next week with a very unique sermon. We're calling it Elder Rotisserie. And uh, you're going to get to hear from each of the elders. They're not on the hot seat. They're not on a spit. Um, they're just rotating through the sermon. And so we're going to be speaking on leadership next week. And we're going to each bring something specific that speaks to us out of the scriptures, one of the patriarchs, and how God uniquely used one of those patriarchs with the idea and the concept of leadership. And so make sure that you are here for that and prepared and ready to go. Today's title of the sermon is very, very tiny. Can you see that? Can you make that out? Yeah, you can't see through muddy waters. Now, I purposely made it that small, so you'd have to really try to see it. You get it? That's what you call brilliant teaching, folks. It's just symbiotic, you know, it, it makes it happen. Can't see through muddy waters. I don't get that, those kind of statements, those colloquialisms. It's like, I can't eat an iron taco. What, what does that mean? Uh, I can't see through muddy waters. Um, but my father-in-law says it a lot of time, and he says it whenever one of the grandkids is standing in front of the TV in his line of sight. And I think I would prefer that he say something like that rather than throw a brick at their head. So... Uh, we've heard this statement, so I thought I would borrow it to get the point across. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the miracles of Christ. We transition out of all this hoo-ha that's happening in the temple and the interaction between Christ and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. And now it's the disciples and Jesus. And now Jesus does another miracle to proclaim who He is. Now, what you need to grasp through this this morning is much. I don't pretend to know exactly what it is you need, but the Holy Spirit knows. So, focus. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. There will be much about what we see here that you're going to, you're going to take it and you're going to relate to it in your own life and ask yourself, what's the mud that's keeping me from seeing Jesus? What's the mud that's hindering me from doing what the blind man did? How can I see clearly? And what should be my response? When I was in college, I did a few fun, crazy things. I won't tell you all of them, but I will share this one. Uh, I don't know what's with the new generation. They are infatuated with, what's that guy's name? Austin, that you guys have all the great jokes? Chuck Norris, right? Yeah, they're infatuated with Chuck Norris. Austin, you got a good Chuck Norris joke for me? No, I won't put you on the... No. But, but Chuck Norris has become so legendary on the internet that uh, they actually had to put him in a movie because the way the movie set up, it was, it was made for Chuck Norris just to kind of show up. And, and back in the day, back in the college day, you know, this new generation speaks of Chuck Norris, a Chuck Norris they know not of. As opposed to me, who at midnight went down to the Westwood Village 
to the Bruin to see Invasion USA on Premiere. Folks, it doesn't get much worse than that. But as we were there, we were all excited. A hum, a mumble turned into a roar within the theater. And the rumor was another great. And who knew these two would meet eventually in our common century? Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the house. Yes, the governor was there. Folks, we're talking 1985. So I think he had just finished winning something or throwing something or bulging or whatever it was he was doing at the time. And so everybody's all excited. You know, Arnold's in the house, right? I can't find him. I, I don't see him. So the movie's over. Chuck Norris saved the entire United States like he always does. And, and about, you know, uh, 900 people pour out uh, into the Westwood Village. And everybody's, like, running and kind of following. And so we're trying to figure out, where is Arnold Schwarzenegger? And we keep looking, we keep looking, and, and my friends say, there he is, he's across, and I can't see him. I cannot say, how hard would it be to notice Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And so I turn to my friends and I say, are you kidding me? I cannot, where is he? And out of my right ear comes this voice, Bro, what's wrong with you? He's right there. And I turn, and it's Marcus Allen standing in the door of Falafel King at 2 in the morning. That's what inspired me to eat like that. I'm like, that guy's got a body, you know? He's eating a Falafel King at 2 in the morning. I could, No, it doesn't work for us mild-mannered people. I got Marcus Allen standing right here, and somewhere in my midst is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm starstruck. And so he says he's right... So I look... And finally, I figure out why I can't see him. There is a gigantic distraction standing next to him. If you can imagine, there's a guy twice his size that is his bodyguard. And I kept looking at that guy, and I'm like, that is not Arnold Schwarzenegger. What's wrong with you people? That is not Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just never noticed. He's standing right there, right next to that guy. And I felt like the biggest buffoon. I couldn't see because something was muddying up my vision. This morning, we're going to see how that works transposed. How someone who was born blind had mud put on his eyes. And not only could he now see, but he saw spiritually as well. And we're going to explore and unpack all that's involved here it's pretty fascinating, but we're going to move quickly. So be prepared. You have a sheet for notes, and I'll have some PowerPoint up here for you. Um, so be prepared. We're going to start. All, all of these statements are alliterations. So the first point today is limited logic. And I don't have any power here yet, Nathaniel, so if you can click on it. So limited logic is where we're going to start, verses 1 and 2. And let's look at that out of John 9. It says this, And he passed by, or as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Wow. That's a prolific question. Jesus is kind of just walking through, and the next thing you know, the disciples pop off a question. And it's pretty significant. You know, Lord, here's a blind man from birth. It's obvious that he's blind because of sin. 
So who sinned? Is it the fault of his parents or is it his fault? So I have a a question for you. In, In this idea of limited logic, as they say who sinned, the man or his parents, this speaks to the issue of suffering as a result of sin, correct? That was the mindset. That was the mindset of the day. They had actually probably been taught that. That if you had a physical malady or something desperately was wrong with you, it was the result of what? Of sin. They wouldn't have said it if they hadn't been taught that. And they only give Jesus two choices. Do you see that? And so the thinking of the day, the predominant thinking of the day must have been, well, you know, sin destroys everything and Because you're a wreck, it has to be because of sin. I would propose, my friends, that we're not too far off from that. So what happens? Well, first of all, before we get into it, I have a question for you. As they assume, and as they probably were taught that, that this was a result of sin, they they propose this unsolvable question to Jesus. In their minds, it was unsolvable. So they're walking with Jesus and... What would you ask Jesus if you got to walk with him? What unsolvable question would you hand to him? Will the A's actually go to the World Series? Ask Jesus. What unsolvable question would you ask Jesus? Do you have one? I have multiple. I have multiple. And as we look at this interaction, we can relate to it, can't we? You know, here's something that we've grown up with and we've just never known the answer. Jesus is standing right here. Jesus, hey, this is a good one. We've never known who who owns this. Wow. Now think of the question you have. And what do you think Jesus would tell you? And how would you frame your question? Would it be this or that? Because as the disciples presented this or that, an and or, Jesus comes in with the other. He comes in with the other. Jesus answers them with a shocker. Verses 3 through 5, he says this, Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is simply saying this, that I will perform a miracle here. And as long as I'm here, we can do this. As long as I'm here, we can do this. And by the way, that's one of the reasons I was sent. And let's get back to your question. Neither. Wasn't his sin and it wasn't his parents. What does he say? He says that the works of God may be displayed in him. The work of God. We're going to just camp out here for a second. Alright? Some of you may have physical challenges that you're dealing with. I can guarantee you multiples within our church body are dealing with that right now. I have friends that are going through this right now. You can think of multiples of speakers that tour the Christian camp and Christian conference circuit like Johnny Erickson Tata or Nick, I think it's Vucevic. 
And what are they constantly doing? They're constantly glorifying God in spite of their physical problems, their physical curse, their physical issues, no matter what it would be. Now, this isn't a popular answer, and I'm going to be blunt with you. I'm not going to try to hide behind it. I'm not going to try to skirt it. What Jesus is saying is that this man has been blind from birth because God made it that way. This is where we put our big boy pants on, folks. So, how many of you know somebody who has rejected Christ or rejected God because of this very issue? Now, it may not present that way, but but they would say it this way. They would say, and I understand it. They would say, I don't want to have anything to do with a God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present that allows me to suffer like this or allows somebody else to suffer like this. That's hard stuff. What do you say to that person? Most of us would just quietly nod and say, yeah, that's hard. Let me just share with you, that's not what Johnny Erickson Tata says. That's not what Nick Vucevic says. That's not what multiple people within our own congregation say. We had an individual in our church, Mickey Quinzer, who, because of malpractice by the nurses when he was born, he ended up blind. And he still glorifies God. How do they do it? So, for you, what is it? Is this an unfair God? And let me just speak to this. Is this one on God? The man that is blind, is this one on God? Because God made sure that he was blind from birth so that Jesus would heal him so that it would be a testimony to God's power and God's love. God, can't we just skip the formalities, please? Who drives this? Is it God that drives this? No. It's our stiff necks. Listen to this clearly. It is our stiff neck. And what do I mean by that? How many of us would pay attention if it wasn't for calamity in our life and Jesus rescuing us from calamity? We drive it. We drive it. And so God will use you whether it's through a physical issue, whether it's through a mental, whether it's through an emotional issue, whether it's through a trial, God will choose to use you just like this blind man so that He is able to bring others into seeking Him so that they will not perish. Are you willing to take that upon yourself so that others will not perish? Because the ministry that some people have due to their love for Christ, even in the midst of suffering, is powerful. I wish it didn't have to be that way, and I believe that God wishes it didn't have to be that way. But not only is Jesus willing to have us go through that so He can heal us, and we can give testimony to that, He inserted Himself into that, didn't He? He took on the greatest physical malady, which was death and suffering, 
So that what? So that many might be saved. So the challenge for us this morning is, as you are sitting there and you have distress in your life, maybe it's employment issues, maybe it's your children, maybe it's uh, a, a relationship that has fallen apart, maybe it is a physical issue, whatever it is, Jesus can heal that. And then by process of that, we give testimony. Let's see how that happens by what happens in this story. So he heals the blind man, verses 6 through 7. This is fascinating. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back. What? Seeing. Came back seeing. Jesus heals the blind man. This is fascinating. And I want to help you with this idea of healing. How does it happen? Folks, we have a lot of weird theories out there. And some of this stuff actually works. But Jesus didn't heal some people the same way he healed this man. The leper walks up, or the, or the multiple lepers walk up, and he just heals them. He didn't use anything physical. He, he just heals them. But he puts a requirement on them. With this gentleman, let's look and see what he does. There's three parts to it that are, uh, in my opinion, fascinating to say the least. So let's break it down. You have it up on the screen, but let's look at it. Uh, he uses three elements to accomplish this miracle. Number one, his spit. Now that's a pretty vile thing, but he uses his spit. He uses part of himself. This is symbolic, I think. By the way, this whole part right here, this point, is, is kind of me just pontificating, all right? This is speculation, but I'm looking at it and I'm saying there's a pattern here. So when we're looking for Jesus to do some kind of a miracle and we're saying, how does this happen? How do I get the healing that I want? Let's look to the pattern of what Jesus did in the moment. He used part of himself. He required something of himself to be involved in the process. Then you go to the mud. Jesus requires something from creation. Isn't that fascinating? This man's been uh, blind from birth, so his eyes have not worked. There's a failure in the creation. What are we made of? What were Adam and Eve, well, what was Adam made of? The dust of the earth. So maybe there's a little symbolism here that he's going right back to the essence of creation. He grabs the earth and he mixes what's part of him in with the earth. Now the fascinating thing about this is simply that Jesus in Colossians 1 is listed as the, the instigator of creation. Did you know that? A lot of people look at it as, well, God, God the Father. Well, they were all involved, but Jesus specifically in Colossians 1 is seen as the creator. He was the active component in creation. So here he is creating something new all over again in the moment. You know, there are those that say you just need to pray. You just need to have enough faith. It's interesting that Jesus took from the earth which he created in order to heal this man. What can we learn from that? I think we can learn that it's not necessarily a negative thing or a wrong thing to use medicine, which comes from the earth, for healing. We can ask Jesus to help us. Jesus did. We can ask and, and use that which is provided from the earth, which is part of creation, which he did. And then... Here's where sometimes we fail in this healing process. We just sit back and we expect Jesus to do everything. That's not how Jesus did this. Do you see the third point? 
The third point is this. He tells him, go cleanse at the pool of Siloam. Folks, I, I, I don't think that there was any... This is not the pool of Bethesda. There wasn't anything unique necessarily about healing properties at the pool of Siloam. It was just a pool. But yet, he's just requiring something of the man so that he participates in the process. I want you to show me that you want to be healed. So get up and do something. Go wash at the pool of Siloam. Well, let's move on to the next point this morning. They have limited leads. This is interesting. So we transfer. The man's been healed. And all of a sudden, there's a buzz in the community about this. Ready? And so they have limited leads as to how this happened. To understand the work of Jesus, one must seek the answer. The neighbors were amazed. They were amazed and they wanted details and clarity. Look at it at the beginning of, of, say, verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen, like, you go to those high school reunions? By the way, I don't recommend them. But you go to those high school reunions, and all of a sudden you're looking at somebody that you never would have thought was going to be successful, and, and you're like, what happened to you? Of course, you are that person. You are that person at the high school reunion. And, and everybody's looking at you saying, wow, what's the secret? Look at you. What happened to you? Right? Shannon, you're going to get a lot of that when people see your ring. Wow, what happened? To, well, let me introduce you to Sam. That's what happened. Here. That's what's happening with the neighbors here. They've known this man to have these problems, and all of a sudden he can see the neighbors are talking. What happens as a result of this? It's fascinating. It's going to lead us to three subpoints here. They ask him, what? They ask him, how did this happen? And he said, Jesus healed me. And they ask, what next? Where is he? Folks, this is key. Remember, we just left this idea of limited logic. We don't understand why we have to go through certain things. But it's the issue that God will come and give us healing and give us strength and give us support in the midst of it. So what? So the neighbors might ask. And when the neighbors ask, what do you do? Do you say, well, I took Tony Robbins' crash course in success. I'm eating better. I'm more healthy. Do you ascribe it to where it should belong if that's who you pursued? was Jesus. Has Jesus healed you? Has Jesus called you out of sin and death? If so, you have an answer. And by the way, if so, and we'll get to this point at the end, if so, the neighbors should be talking. And when they ask you, what happened? Are you saying Jesus? Because he did. Jesus healed me. What happens next is phenomenal. It is the answer to the question, why does God do this? They say, where is he? Where is he? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he'll use whatever means to make it happen. He did for you. He did for you. So are you walking as a result of Jesus' work? I believe you are if you know him. I believe there's been transformation. I believe that there is a noticeable difference in you. And we can talk about this a little bit later as to, you know, the individual that says, 
well, pastor, I've, I've known Jesus my entire life, so there's really no difference. No, there is a difference. Some of you have experienced this later in life. We heard from Eric, you know, at baptism. And, and many of you heard that testimony and were absolutely amazed at the transformation. Eric, you got people asking what's happened to you? Yeah. We sang that song from the call as a closer for Easter Sunday. Very unorthodox. But it's called What's Happened to You. And it talks about the transformation of Jesus in someone's life. Now, what about you who have known Jesus your whole life? We hear this all the time when we ask for testimonies. Pastor, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. Because you have Jesus, your life should be showing that you have Jesus. And that means whatever trial comes upon you, you're able to survive. You come out of the miry clay, your feet are set upon the rock, and the neighbors notice. The neighbors will notice when you stand strong in the midst of the storm. And they'll start asking questions. Why? Why are you able to do this? You don't have to be blind from birth for the neighbors to start asking questions, folks. People should notice, if so. If so, people should ask. If so, you should glorify Him so that they seek. Limited law is where we go next. This is fascinating. So we go from the disciples and the healing, then we go to the neighbors. Woo, everything's a buzz. Now we get back to those good old boys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Who knew? What a surprise that it would make it back to these guys. So this is kind of fascinating. The Pharisees have a problem. The miracle is obvious. They can't deny the miracle, but it breaks the law. Hmm. Have you ever been faced with a quandary like that where your faith is just challenged? You know what Scripture says, and yet you saw something happen, and you're like, this does not fit. Here's where the Pharisees' problem was. Is that Jesus says, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for what? For man. But over the period of thousands, uh, probably about a thousand years, actually it was probably limited to about three to four hundred years during the intertestamental period, where all of a sudden the whole synagogue system came up and so much of what was added into the law that became the traditions whereby the Pharisees and the Jews and the religious authorities required men to look this way and do these certain things in order to be presented holy. These were traditions that were added in. This had nothing to do with what God was saying. And it was bad interpretation of the Decalogue. But somehow, through tradition and through the power of those who were teaching erroneously and started to add things in, all of a sudden they've extrapolated out and created something God never really intended. But folks, that can happen to us too, can't it? I can start taking my own agenda and start implementing it into the things that I'm teaching. And some of you will say, well, yeah, that sounds good. I think that's, yeah, I agree with that because that fits my convenient situation. You ever hear me start doing that, you better write me an email. And some of you did. You remember when I stood up here and told you, I'm not sharing you my opinion when it comes to, are you eternally saved? Oh my goodness. Hotmail got a whole lot hotter. You know the reason I told you that was because you shouldn't base something like that off my opinion. And the other reason I told you that is because... You have two divisions, just like what we're reading about right here. 
you have two divisions. Those that go and find Scripture that support that you can never lose your salvation, which is where we were in John 6. And those that will take other Scripture and say, well, look, it definitely shows that this person lost their salvation. Scratch, scratch, scratch. What, what do we do? Well, let's just cut to the quick. Let's make first things first. You want to know if you're saved? Just measure it by your fruit. That's it. That's what Jesus said. You want to know that you're saved? Measure it by fruit. That's it. I still subscribe to those verses. And I do have my opinion. And I'll share that privately. But, folks, you live in a dangerous time just like these folks did. You have to be careful about add-ons. The Scripture is the truth. Commentary and add-ons can be dangerous. And so that's where the Pharisees find themselves. I can't actually blame them. They're really trying to hold to what they believe is true. But unfortunately, they've convinced themselves of something that's not true. So what happens? They have a division. Look at it. It's simple. Uh, let's say verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. All right, there's your problem. There's your polemic. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? He can't be wrong. Look at what he did. And there was division among them. This is one of the first times we actually see some of these guys starting to get it. Now there's division. Now what do they do? They don't know what to do. So what do they do? They turn back to the blind man. And they said, uh, verse 17... So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Because we don't know what to think since he has opened your eyes. And the man says, he's a prophet. Their law cannot handle Jesus. Let's move on to limited loyalty. So you have something this powerful and this good. Folks, something happens that's out of the ordinary that doesn't fit with dogma or theology within the church. You're going to scare church leaders. But if you're going to claim that something happened to you that doesn't fit with Scripture and you're not being truthful, be careful. Because the evidence will bear out whether Jesus had his fingerprints on it or not. Alright? I'm here to tell you that I believe that Jesus is much bigger than my concept and my understanding. My limited logic. Jesus can do anything. Absolutely anything. As we continue on with this concept of limited... <clears throat> where are we? We're limited loyalty. And so what happens here is that the parents are brought into the picture. Mm. So we went to the neighbors. Then we went to the religious leaders. Well, let's now go to the parents. Because they should weigh in on it, Right? And, and so they go to the parents and look in verse 20. It says, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. <laughs> this is fantastic. The parents checked down to the son, right? They don't want to have anything to do with this. The parents' refusal or, or, or yeah, refusal of the joy of the miracle is traded in for fear of being kicked to the curb. 
How do I know that? Well, if you keep reading the parenthetical thought in verse 22 by John says this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Wow. Their son just received sight for the first time in his life. And they refused to get behind him and get excited and rejoice in what Jesus did. Because why? They're afraid of getting kicked out of the social club. It's amazing the limitations upon our loyalty, even within family. Jesus desires to heal. I'm not all that convinced that we're that excited about it. We have fears. We have challenges. Limited loyalty. Do we fear Jesus and God more than man? I guess the answer is our response in tight situations. How do you respond when the screws are put to you? Do you run and hide? Do you check down? Or do you fully give testimony and glory to Jesus Christ? Unfettered. Limited listening is where we find ourselves next. So we're back to the Pharisees. And they're dialoguing with the healed man again. And the dialogue continues in verse 28 through 34. Now the lines are drawn as to choices in verse 29. Let's look at that. The Pharisees say this, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from, speaking about Jesus. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he has opened my eyes? Now this is fascinating. Here's a man who spent his life blind. Here's a man who spent his life begging, and now he starts to take to school the religious authorities. And they really don't like it. Limited listening. Continue on. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's powerful language, folks. That's not written in a passive tongue at all. I've had several conversations this week with individuals and, and even overseas on our, on our trip where everybody's dancing a very fine dance. They don't want to upset anybody. If you experience the power of Christ in your life, the healing power of Christ in your life, and someone just sits and makes every excuse as to why this really isn't real, would you not be compelled to use strong language? And I'm not talking about four-letter language. I'm talking about passionate, emphatic, wake up kind of language. Yes, you would. The question is, why do we not do that now with those around us that are suffering, with those around us that see themselves as authority, with those around us that are strayed and they think they've got it figured out, but they're actually in opposition to everything that Jesus is. This man who just got healed experienced the power of Christ. It is irrefutable in his life. 
that he knows. He may not know all of the the Hebrew. He may not know all of the Pentateuch by heart. He may not have gone through Pharisaical school. But he knows that on this thing, they're wrong. And he cannot be quiet. He cannot remain quiet. And because of limited listening, they seal him off. They disregard the power that's standing right in front of them. And what do they say? Look at it. Verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? Remember where we started? The disciples turned to Jesus and say, Whose sin was it? The parents are his. Remember I told you? It certainly seemed as if they were taught that. Hmm. We just found the teachers. Let us remind you who you are. You were born in sin. How do we know that? Because you were blind from birth. Jesus comes along and says, that's not, that's not how it works. You guys deviated on that one. And this is their fallback plan. And so what do they do? They kick him to the curb. They kick him to the curb. Lastly, limitless love. So what do we do with this? Jesus comes to the blind man and continues to minister. Here's the fascinating thing, folks. Usually when we're suffering with something, we experience Jesus' love. If we pursue that, we experience His power and His healing. But guess what's right around the corner? Often, there's another season of suffering. And so our, our expectation is, really? I thought we'd been there. I thought we'd done that. This man gets healed, and what happens? His neighbors are inquisitive, and they can't believe what's going on. But because of his testimony, they start seeking, who is Jesus? Because of that, it comes to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees start dialoguing with this guy. And they're saying, you cannot be right. And they start dividing amongst themselves. So then they go to the parents, and as they go to the parents, hey, mom and dad, go ahead, share with them what's happening. It's incredible. Uh, Ask him, because we don't know. And, you know, stamp our membership card. What? Really, Mom? Really, Dad? Back to the Pharisees. And and what do you think is going on? Why would you doubt? I'm walking right behind. Get out. We can't deal with you. Wow. Maybe it would be better if I just stayed blind. All of this wouldn't have happened. This has been a bit of an overwhelming day as an understatement. You know, folks, Jesus knows that. And it'd be a little frustrated if we left this guy at a falafel stand somewhere in Samaria or Jerusalem crying his new eyes out. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus healed him because of limitless love. Jesus healed him because he wanted people to seek him and come to him. And that man glorified Jesus. He did his job. And he drew people to Jesus. And people came to Jesus because of him. And even this morning, there may be others coming to Jesus because of his testimony. But he experienced a season of hatred from his parents and from the religious authorities. And he's sitting there scratching his head saying, What happened? But because of Jesus' limited love, He comes again to the man. 
Not only is He going to heal the man's physical issues so that He can glorify Him, now He's going to come minister to His heart and to His hurts. Is that how it is for you? Is that where you are? You've seen Jesus working in your life and you're appreciative and you've been transformed, but because of the the changes that have happened, you have sacrificed much and it's cost you much and emotionally you're just feeling a little bit beat up and you're saying, Lord, where are you? Can I encourage you that Jesus is not an impersonal God that just simply moves and then moves on? Jesus came back to this man, verse 35 through 38. Let's look at it. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Look at the response. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You cannot worship something when you're in a state of confusion, anger, frustration. When Jesus came to him, Jesus healed him of his hurts as well as his eyes. And Jesus stayed consistent with him. This morning for you, as you're seeking that healing, and maybe you've gone through a part of it, you may be at that second stage where you're saying, the result of this is I'm tired, God. The result of this is I have scarring. The result of me trying to serve you and glorify you is that I'm lonely. Jesus knows. Jesus gets it. And Jesus comes to you and He says, have you seen the Son of Man? Because I'm walking with you. I haven't let up on you. I'm here for you. And there is emotional healing for the blind man. Instantly. The words of Jesus are laid out to lovingly defend you. This man is attacked by his religious authorities who are supposed to be watching out for him. And he's kicked to the curb. And Jesus comes with healing words. This morning for you and I, where are we with our understanding of suffering? Where are we? Do we focus more on limitations or do we transition to this last point that because of limitless love, we can see through muddy waters? We can see through muddy waters. I pray this morning that whatever may be blocking you from the fullness of Jesus Christ, you relent that over to Him. You stop trying to carry it. You stop trying to hold on to it. And you experience the healing that He has for you so that you may glorify Him so that the neighbors might ask. If you or somebody you know is struggling with who Jesus Christ is because of this issue of suffering, I want to hit the reset button for you real quickly. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit does not desire suffering for your life. We know that because that's not how He initially set it up in the Garden of Eden. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. But because sin entered the world... The curse happened, and as a result of the curse, suffering is there. And because of men's stiff necks, He pushes us into situations where He can then come in and heal so that He is glorified. Folks, are you ready to glorify Him through transformation, through healing? Make it count. 
because of His limitless love. Make it count. Father, this morning we ask that You lead us, protect us, guide us, comfort us. Thank You for this message and these words from Your Scripture that encourage us. Many of us are suffering currently. Many of us have physical challenges. Many of us have emotional wounds and scars. And yet, Lord, we know that we have been the benefactor and we have been inspired, we have been encouraged because of somebody else triumphing through pain because of You. Many of us may have been drawn to You because of somebody else's triumph and overcoming and conquering through pain because they gave testimony to You. Father, help us to be brave like the blind man and not fear men like his parents. Fear the child teaches the parent. Give us your healing touch. Father, take our offering this morning. Use it to your glory. Use it for your purposes. Father, I pray that as the men pass the baskets that we give joyfully. And Lord, that You're able to multiply out those efforts. You're able to multiply out our giving so that there is no need that goes unanswered. And the Lord, if there is a need this morning within the congregation, that they can come to us, they can ask us, they can let us know so that we are able to participate and share with them Your resources those things that You have given so that we can respond in kind to give glory to You. Thank You for those that give and give joyfully. Bless them. Encourage us, Lord. Let us walk triumphantly this week. In Your name, Amen.